Okay, I'm Hannah Sheree Smith from the British Blacklist, and today I'm with Natalie Ibu. Can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Natalie Ibu, the Artistic Director and Chief Exec of Teatro Pohunzi, and the Co-Director of Good Dog, the Trilogy of Films. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, yes, let's start off. How, how are you? How have you been finding the last couple of months in lockdown? I don't really know. I mean, I'm fine right now, but um, I think the thing that has struck me about this moment is that every day is different and that it sort of has these phases, like the first phase of lockdown. So I went into lockdown on like the 15th of March and I was like, this is my dream as an extroverted introvert. This is <laughs> I don't have to hug no one. I don't have to see anyone. Like, excellent. I can finally just get on with the admin of my job. And then phase two was really overwhelming as the Black Lives Matter um, reached a new crescendo and there was lots of expectations on me and my time and yeah as an activist and being a black woman in the arts makes me political whether I'm political or not and then as lockdown began to ease I went into another phase so it's just yeah it's it's a lot isn't it but today I am fine. <laughs> That's good I'm glad. So you've been artistic director of Teatro for Hoomsi is it for six years? No. Here's in December. What has that been like during lockdown? Trying to uh, have you had to make drastic changes? I know. It, I feel like it's particularly difficult being the artistic director of a company at this time. It has been challenging, but in sort of surprising ways. So I don't. We don't have a venue. We're a, a new work company that makes work in partnership with venues and with organisations. Um, and tours that work normally. So at the start of lockdown, we had a show on tour called Seeds by Melanie Pennant, a debut writer um, that was halfway through its tour. And of course we had to pull that and we pulled it before the, the theatres were closed because it just felt really irresponsible to be marketing a show, come and see our show when actually we really want people to be responsible and protecting themselves and other people. And um, so that was a really difficult decision to make, but actually, we um, are lucky to not feel the immediate effects of the sector shutting down, but obviously it's our livelihood, obviously like it's the context and ecology with which we make work. So, you know, trying to sort of imagine and prepare for the knock-on effect when the theatres are open and we are making work that needs to be tours and needs investment. Feeling really responsible for our black freelancers without which then we wouldn't you know be able to work and make the work that we make and reach the audiences that we want to reach and then of course just our community our black community and really wanting to show up and stand up for them but also not being able to <laughs> so yeah it's been challenging but you know we are doing better than than some of our peers I think we don't really know what the impact of this is going to be on business and on the sector really now um, and we're all just preparing for every eventuality essentially. You know we still are able to commission work. I haven't needed to make anyone redundant or furlough anyone so we're lucky in that way but we'd also pre-lockdown had stripped back our structure because we were planning to work in a slightly different way anyway so we were always actually going to be a remote organization so gave up our office so in many ways lockdown has just been um, a way for us to test how we're going to be working in the future. Let's talk about Good Dog then. So this 
play was originally toured by uh, Teatro Fonzi in last year, right? So first, the world premiere of it was in 2017, and then we brought it back in the spring of 2019. Um, so yeah, it's been out. It's been out twice. What drew you to it the first time, and why do you keep uh, revitalizing it? When I took over Teatro Fonzi in 2014, I put a call out to agents to share with me the work of black writers and Arinzi's agent sent me Good Dog and I read it aloud because it is uh, a very complex piece of work to read. It's written phonetically with no punctuation so you have to sort of speak it but when you speak it it's just so natural. He has such a craft for capturing a very particular kind of dialect, a very particular kind of expression. Um, and it was just so exhilarating. I um, remember, yeah, just feeling intoxicated by the work. Um, it's a monologue for a young black boy, but through his eyes, through his words, through his body, he manages to manifest a whole community of people. And it was just so ambitious and epic. Yes, yeah, so I sort of fell in love with it. However, it's set on a council estate and part of our vision at that time was about, you know, we produce one show a year and feeling like there are some narratives that sort of take up lots of space in the mainstream and I'm doing inverted commas, you know, speech marks and when we talk about mainstream because it's like, who's mainstream? But certainly in mainstream culture, we felt like we were only really seeing two narratives one that was about deprivation and often was set in a council estate or one that which was about being foreign right we were never from here we were always recently arrived immigrants or in fact plays that were set in, in Africa and those both those narratives are really important and true for some people but not the totality of the black experience so I wanted to make sure that the work that we did was really strategic and added to the conversation so I didn't want to be doing work that felt like it underlined those narratives and instead wanted to be commissioning and producing work that told stories about black people that we couldn't even imagine yet. So whilst this play was so humane, so funny, so full of texture and colour, it was set in a council estate. So I was like, oh, damn, I can't do it because I've made this big statement about, you know, we're never going to do a play set in a council estate. And then the play just stayed with me. Like I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop talking about it. And I was just like, we have to do it. And what's brilliant, I think about it, is that yes, it's set on a council estate and it makes you think, oh, I know this story. But in fact, the gesture of it, the craft of it is that he paints really detailed, nuanced, intimate portraits of this community. He, goes, he gives us their inner life in a way that perhaps those mainstream narratives have robbed those characters of their inner lives. And so, you know, it does subvert the narrative. And so the first time it toured, I think, for four weeks. And the other brilliant thing about the play is that it, it focuses on little black boy that suffers from neglect of attention, right? Because he's not brilliant at sport and he's not brilliant at school. Um, but he's also not dangerous. And so he's sort of mediocre and falls in the middle. And so you wouldn't really notice him. And those are the kinds of characters that never get space. And so part of the kind of political creative act of this play is that it says, no, this little boy deserves your attention for two and a half hours and deserves to be on a stage where you might see 10 people. And he's going to be there all on his own. The first time round, we had to make compromises, which meant he couldn't do X, Y, and Z. And the second time round, we were like, no, this piece of work deserves to be 
presented in the way that it has been created and so we got another chance to do that and we are we are looking at bringing it back again next year because again it just feels so right for this moment you know it's about community resilience it's about Mark Duggan and Black Lives Matter it's about the ways in which we're oppressed and the ways in which we play along because we believe that if you're good, good things will happen to you. And, and what happens when you realize that the world won't change no matter how well behaved you are. Um, so again, feels really potent in this moment. I agree. It's very pertinent to the particular context, which makes me wonder, did you originally plan before lockdown, before the increase in Black Lives Matter protests, was it already planned to come out this summer or was it something that you decided in the last couple of months? I started um, the conversation with the space who are the kind of commissioners in 2016. So this was before it, we'd even taken it out to audiences. So it's been a long labour of love trying to find the right moment, the right platform, the right way to share this work with people. And I guess the conversation increased in kind of urgency during lockdown as the sector was looking at how it could still tell stories, how it could still meet its audiences, despite the fact that we can't invite them into theatres. And of course we had these three beautiful quality films that we were sitting on. And then yes, as the rise in protests, the rise in devastating black tragic deaths and murders, we just felt like this is the moment to share the work, not because necessarily it's about Black Lives Matter, you know, the, the death of Mark Duggan is a moment in this play, but because it's about community resilience, it's about living with each other, it's about the people and places that make you who you are. And in this moment where we are away from those people, where we might have lost sense of community, where we might feel isolated, it felt that it spoke to this moment in a really beautiful way. So there were lots of things that fell into place and then it can happen so quickly when the moment is right. What was it like adapting this one man play into a series of three films with multiple characters? It was a joy because in the play, of course, whilst it's one actor, you always experience the characters through his eyes, through his ears, and you know you hear the voices of the characters. So we did have an ensemble of actors who recorded their voices and recorded the lines and created this amazing soundscape. But the opportunity to focus in on these characters, that the boy remains our main character, but the other characters come into the foreground in a way that perhaps they don't in the play. I really enjoyed the challenge of it. And actually, you know, Arinzi's writing made it really easy because I'm not a writer. I'm a dramaturg, I'm a director, I'm a producer, but I can't generate original dialogue. And it was all there. It was all in those, you know, 60, 70 pages. And I think Arinzi Kenne is a particularly interesting voice in regards to Good Dog and also his play Misty, also in terms of the demographics of the plays. So when you were putting together Good Dog, was there ever a conscious element that you, you wanted to open the conversation on mental health with a black male audience? I think what's brilliant about Arinzi's work is it's never just about one thing. So yes, we watch, certainly in the play and in the films, we watch people living and we watch the things that they are being challenged by. So for Trevor Senior and Trevor Junior, you know, he's visited by this duppy and it's messing with his mind as he worries about what the duppy means 
for his son. We have Gandhi and the corner shop so desperate to make a success of his life, but also having to deal with people stealing from his shop. And, you know, we watch his sort of early 20s self smoking on the balcony, listless and without real purpose. But it's also about lots of other things. So in terms of demographic, when I greenlit producing the show, it was about, and again, it's this thing about the multiple narrative, right? It was about this really amazing, rich, complex piece of writing that had so much to say about the world and so much to say about us. And that I wanted people like us to be able to come and see themselves, to recognize their estate, to recognize their neighbor, their local corner shop, you know, themselves in the story, but also for people whose lives are not like that, to come and experience these people who live and love and dream and want and I think, you know, Arinzi is such a humane writer, the way he, that he treats these characters. No one is there just for one thing, you know, they've all got so many dimensions to them. It was less about mental health and more about just the, the scope of his storytelling and who he's telling stories about, you know? Do you notice that with a company like Teatro Ponzi that you are able to attract a more representative audience than say like when I go to the national the audiences are largely middle class and white. It is about the work we choose to produce but it's also about how we produce it it's about the marketing we use so in the first tour and this didn't work brilliantly but we tried a thing of like a multiple poster campaign so it wasn't just boy on the poster but we did these profiles of each of the different characters that are featured in the play. Now People were confused because they thought they were coming to see like a seven person ensemble and it's just one black boy. <laughs> and of course they do meet a seven person ensemble, it's just that we only ever see physically him. So the fact that we were trying to think about the different ways in which we might appeal to a multicultural mixed experience Britain, that we wanted everyone to see themselves in this community, the way that we engage with audiences who are engaging in culture but who don't see their local theatre as a place for them. I created this strategy of audience development called the Friendship Model which is about making friends. Uh, a colleague of mine, Don Walton, who used to run a clip said that audience development is as simple as inviting people to your party which is so true but you also don't throw a party until you've got friends first and so actually theatre, what I feel kind of mainstream traditional theatre does is it invest all of this money in throwing the most exciting, you know, dynamic, expensive party and then realises that it doesn't have any friends. And so at the final moment starts calling up, you know, it tends to be people who haven't been to your venue before, black people, people of colour, etc, trying to lure them into your building and they're like, but who are you? <laughs> and so what would happen actually if we took time to get to know our communities, our potential audiences and if we built a relationship which was reciprocal and full of integrity they would come to our shows because they like us and want to spend more time with us and we we take that approach when we're touring of like really getting to know a place you know we pride ourselves in being able to get people who've never been to the theatre before to come and see our work and for a more representative audience but it isn't just about the work we choose to on it's about the way that we relate to people 
and the, t the time and money that we invest in doing that. Which I think is really important advice to be given at this point, because I know since the murder of George Floyd and since the uh, ensuing Black Lives Matter protests in London, there's been a rise in lots of theatres making statements that, you know, they've got an anti-racist stance now, but it's not very clear what they've done to change that. So, I mean, to finish, do you have any sort of particular pointers that you think as an artistic director is like a good place to start at all? I've been thinking a lot about this and I don't have lots of answers because of course I'm also part of the sector, right? So there's the thing about kind of, you know, I am also institutionalized. But I think the thing that I feel is about why the anti-racist statements and what is the quality of culture that you're trying to create? If that's about safety, then really hearing from people about your building, what about the way that you work makes it feel unsafe and being really specific in responding to that. You know, this is quite challenging because I think also as black people, we don't want to feel like we're the ones who have to solve the problem. Like actually it's your problem to solve, but we're also the ones with the insight. We're also the ones with the intelligence around this area. And so I think, invest, put money in the hands of black people to come and consult and to help you ask difficult questions and explore freeing answers. Talk with us, not at us. Acknowledge your past, acknowledge the things that have been done. And I think work with us to create a new future, either as consultants or employ us, you know, that we yeah, should be at those tables. That's the beginning of an answer. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a place to start, definitely. So do you have any other projects coming up that you would like to tell us about? I mean, watch the films, those good dog films. I'm so thrilled they're out there. And, the, you know, the brilliant thing about theatre is that you have to sort of be there to experience it. The brilliant thing about digital is you can watch it whenever, but I'd really love for you all to watch it soon and to tell us what you think, you know, to, to engage with us on the socials, to send me an email. I'd love to hear how it's going down because I think that's the other thing about theatre is like I sit in the audience and I know when people are laughing I know how they feel whereas this it's out in the world and I, I don't know you know how it's going down we also have a strand of called theatre interventions which are more sector facing so it's more about theatre than audiences necessarily doing interventions to kind of shake things up and so we're working on an audience manifesto so the sector has been thinking and talking for a long time about what the future of theatre will look like and audiences haven't really featured in those conversations so we and my team are bringing together a group of black people from across all the intersections to dream up a different theatre, to dream up the future and we will be publishing a manifesto giving that to the sector and saying here is the future theatre that our audiences want to see, now go and do it. We've got a new website launching, I don't know when, so just, just keep checking. <laughs> it's a long old project, it's a bit like uh, the Good Dog films, it takes time, um, but we're really excited as we move away from calling ourselves a theatre company and more thinking about ourselves as storytellers and that the website is a place for us to tell stories through blogs, through digital content, through the story of us, through videos. So yeah, just come hang out with us, get to know us better. Very exciting. Where can we watch Good Dog? You can watch Good Dog on YouTube. 
So the Teatro for Hunze YouTube channel, three films as one film, so three episodes as one film. And you can watch the third installment on BBC iPlayer. But go to YouTube, it's where it's all at. Amazing. Thank you so much for talking to us. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks.